June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that can enthrall you, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped, like Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie. With exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances, Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tonight, a nationwide railroad strike averted. President Biden announces a tentative deal between unions and the rail companies, avoiding what could have cost the U.S. economy $2 billion a day. The president calls it a win for America. CBS's Nancy Cordes on the marathon 20-hour negotiations. Migrants sent to Martha's Vineyard. Florida's Republican governor accused of playing politics after flying nearly 50 asylum seekers to the liberal enclave. Ron DeSantis is a coward. Only a coward uses women and children for their own political gain. Plus, the governor of Texas buses 100 migrants to the vice president's D.C. residence. Indiana's abortion ban, the strict new law outlawing the procedure, goes into effect today. CBS's Adriana Diaz is at one clinic which just saw its last patient. The Queen's funeral. What we're learning about the new roles for William and Harry at the final goodbye. Plus, the Prince and Princess of Wales greet well-wishers. CBS's Charlie Daggett up. From here, they've been told that the journey will take more than eight hours. And the unlikely friendship between Her Majesty and an American cowboy. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us on this busy Thursday night. 
Tonight, the labor deal that prevented a catastrophic railroad shutdown. Rail companies and union leaders reached a tentative agreement less than 24 hours before workers were set to walk off the job. President Biden announced the deal after an all-night negotiating session. The deal avoids a shutdown of the nation's freight trains and passenger traffic that could have devastated the already fragile economy less than two months before the midterm elections. Amtrak is scrambling to restore service after the company canceled all long-distance routes ahead of a possible work stoppage. Well, we have a lot of news to get to tonight, and CBS's Nancy Cordes will start us off from the White House. Good evening, Nancy. So how did this deal come together? Lots of coffee, Nora, some late night nudging by the president and a meeting between union leaders and rail owners that was not allowed to end until they shook hands. Yes, I am very pleased <laughs> to announce a tentative labor agreement. Standing in the Rose Garden, President Biden hailed a deal to head off what would have been the first rail strike since 1992. This is a win for tens of thousands of rail workers and for their dignity. The agreement was the product of marathon, 20-hour talks led by Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. But they weren't getting out. <laughs> I can tell you that. They weren't, I told them, you're not getting out of this room. Walsh says a strike would have cost the U.S. economy $2 billion a day. Uh, we have food and grain and corn uh, waiting to be transported across the country. That, so that, that wouldn't have gotten there. That would have rotted. We have other supplies that are going train. So it would have been devastating. Twelve unions secured the largest wage increases for railroad workers in more than four decades, a raise of 24 percent over five years. They also secured one more day of paid leave and, for the first time, the right to take unpaid leave to attend medical appointments. Railroads were not particularly keen on giving us more time away from work because that means you, you need more employees to run your operation. So uh, I think it's a victory. That victory, so close to the deadline, did come at a price. Amtrak had already canceled some long-distance trains, and GM, anticipating auto part shortages, had been prepping to close some plants. Why did it get to this point, the eve of a strike? Couldn't that have been averted? What I asked at the end of the conversation last night, uh, when, when everything was done to the companies and to the union, let's, let's not repeat this. Let's get to the table earlier next year. This standoff was a big test for a man who has frequently billed himself as, quote, the most pro-union president ever. And the test isn't quite over yet, Nora. This deal still has to be voted on by more than 100,000 rail workers. A series of votes will take place over the next few weeks. They are so critical to our economy. Nancy Cordes, thank you. Well, tonight, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is under fire for using taxpayer dollars to organize flights of asylum seekers to Martha's Vineyard. The backlash comes as the Democratic governor of California, Gavin Newsom, is asking the Justice Department to pursue kidnapping charges against Republican governors who are sending migrants to Democratic-run cities. CBS's Elaine Quijano is in Martha's Vineyard. The 48 asylum seekers, mainly from Venezuela, landed in Martha's Vineyard Wednesday afternoon aboard two planes from Texas and organized by Florida's Republican governor, Ron DeSantis. Luis Fonseca says he left Venezuela to look for a better life for his three children who were still there. He didn't know he would end up here. They told me there was a work opportunity, he says. We were going to a city, but we ended up staying here. 
Democratic Massachusetts State Representative Dylan Fernandez called the move by DeSantis disgusting. Ron DeSantis is a coward. Only a coward uses women and children for their own political gain. Today, Governor DeSantis defended the flights paid through a $12 million taxpayer-funded initiative. We take what's happening at the southern border very seriously, unlike some and unlike the President of the United States. The move follows similar steps taken by Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Today, about 100 migrants from Texas were dropped off near the Vice President's Naval Observatory residence. So far, Abbott has bussed over 10,000 migrants to New York, Chicago, and Washington, D.C. Mayors in those cities called the actions political and shameful. In South Florida, a group of Venezuelan Americans criticized DeSantis. We demand him to stop using our pain, our suffering, and our desperation for his political gains. Republicans on Capitol Hill defended the Florida governor's actions today. As for the migrants who are here legally seeking asylum, Officials here are looking into temporarily housing them at a military base in Cape Cod. Nora? Elaine Quijano, thank you. Well, today, Russian President Vladimir Putin met in person with China's leader Xi Jinping for the first time since the invasion of Ukraine. Putin acknowledged China's concerns about the war, while Xi promised to support the two countries' core interests. Well, tonight, Ukraine's President Zelensky says authorities have found a mass burial site in a newly liberated city in the Kharkiv region. CBS's Deborah Pata is in Ukraine. Volodymyr Zelensky braving liberated towns near the front line, paying tribute to his soldiers. In striking contrast, Vladimir Putin desperately needing allies who's yet to visit his troops on the ground. But Putin has exacted his revenge, sending missiles to Zelensky's hometown of Kriviri that smashed into a dam, flooding surrounding areas. The president condemned the strike as the work of weaklings who'd fled the battlefield. In the liberated areas, it's civilians who've paid a heavy price during the long months of Russian occupation. Izium was shelled for weeks on end and everywhere we've gone there's just been utter devastation. This behind me is the local city hall and over there a hospital. Clearly not a military target. The Kremlin attempted to erase every trace of Ukrainian identity. They burned our books, destroyed our schools, removed our TV channels and put on Moscow's propaganda, Yulio Kuziobenko told us. Some even collaborated with the Russian forces, like her ex-husband, whom she's denounced as a traitor, saying he's dead to her. Ukraine is now trying to extend its counteroffensive towards the east. Zelensky has called on Western countries to continue supplying weapons. Now they've proved they know how to use them effectively. Nora? Deborah Pata, thank you again. Your superb reporting. Well, let's turn now to London, where we learned today that Queen Elizabeth had a personal request for her funeral on Monday that her grandsons, Princess William and Harry, once again walk side by side behind her coffin in its final journey to Westminster Abbey. And that coffin will be carried on the same gun carriage that was used in the funerals of her father, King George VI and Sir Winston Churchill. Here's CBS's Charlie Daggett. 
Prince William opened up to well-wishers today, adding that walking behind the Queen's coffin brought back memories alluding to the funeral of Princess Diana. He and the new Princess of Wales, Kate, greeted mourners outside the royal residence of Sandringham. While back in London, the crowds have grown to epic proportions. A pilgrimage to pay tribute to their queen. The whole walk for six and a half hours. If I had to do it again right now, I'll do it again. Even visitors from the U.S., Lon and Bob Emke are from Illinois. She's just such a great woman. I'm a special person and uh, we've known her for 70 years. <laughs> this sea of people winding their way through the park right in front of the palace are nearly at the end of their journey. Yet as we speak, thousands more are just starting. We made our own journey to find out just how far back it stretched, a good five miles. This is the very beginning of the line. In the few minutes we've been here, it's already grown by more than 500 yards. People here have been told it's going to take at least eight hours to get there. Any food, An army any of volunteers and portable toilets, matched only by an actual army tightening security with marksmen on the roofs and sniffer dogs on the streets. Security teams are now facing the, one of the biggest challenges this country has ever seen. And Nora, we've been speaking to people in the crowd here tonight. They say they've been walking around seven and a half hours to spend 60 seconds with the Queen. Just extraordinary. Charlie Daggett, thank you. Well, tonight in an explosive new interview, former President Trump warns there could be big trouble if he's indicted over those top secret documents seized from Mar-a-Lago. Here's CBS's Major Garrett. Former President Trump says he, quote, can't imagine being indicted over his handling of classified documents after leaving office. And he warned of unrest if charges were brought. I think you'd have problems in this country, the likes of which perhaps we've never seen before. I don't think the people of the United States would stand for it. Democrats slammed the remarks. Inviting the mob to return to the streets is exactly what happened here January 6, 2021. Trump also said he declassified the sensitive documents found in unsecured locations at his Mar-a-Lago residence. This, Trump suggested, should absolve him. I have the absolute right to declassify. Absolute. A president has that absolute right. Trump's attorneys have not made this argument in court filings. Legally speaking, it may not matter. Whether or not a document is classified is irrelevant. It's a question of mishandling. Uh, national security information, even if they have been declassified. Meanwhile, Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, having been subpoenaed, is now, according to CNN, cooperating with the Justice Department investigation into January 6th. At least 40 Trump associates have been subpoenaed in recent weeks, part of a widening probe into efforts to overturn the presidential election. That is also the focus in Georgia, where a grand jury is investigating Trump-led maneuvers to undercut the state's 2020 results. The district attorney told the Washington Post, if indicted and convicted, people are facing prison sentences. On yet another legal front, CBS News has learned New York's attorney general rejected a plea deal proposed by Trump's attorneys to settle a long-running investigation into possible financial fraud perpetrated by the Trump organization. This development, Nora, suggests a civil suit could soon be filed against Trump and possibly one of his children. Major Garrett, thank you so much. 
Well, tonight, tropical storm warnings are in effect in the eastern Caribbean. Tropical storm Fiona is expected to strengthen as it approaches the Leeward Islands tomorrow. Fiona could drop up to 10 inches of rain on the U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico this weekend. A near total ban on abortion takes effect in Indiana. What it means for women and health care providers, that in 60 seconds. A sweeping new abortion ban went into effect in Indiana today, outlawing the procedure with limited exceptions. The state was the first in the nation to pass legislation after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June. CBS's Adriana Diaz is there. This is an area that would normally be full of patients. Most of the lights are now off at Women's Med, an Indianapolis abortion provider. As a physician, I get mad because insurance companies deny claims. I'm not normally mad because my patients are being stripped of human rights. The clinic is among two Indiana providers slated to close. The state's five remaining clinics will still offer limited health care. Dr. Katie McHugh says patient volume doubled here as more restrictive abortion laws were passed in neighboring states. And we were able to support the states uh, around us and, and take their patients and provide the care that they needed. That all happened until yesterday. Indiana is now one of 13 states with a near total ban or that have outlawed abortions after six weeks. It's an exciting day for Indiana. Sue Liebel is with Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. Now it's back in state hands. Uh, it's going to be messy. It'll be different in every state, but it's closer to the people, closer to the will of the voters. Women's Med will now send Indiana patients to its sister clinic in Dayton, Ohio, more than 100 miles away, where just yesterday a county judge temporarily restored Ohio's abortion access. When you look to the future, what do you see? I see so much harm on these populations that will not be able to access abortion care. And I think about the generational damage that will be done to these patients and their families. A judge declined a request to temporarily block the ban today while lawsuits play out, but that could change at a, at a hearing on Monday. Meanwhile, Women's Med plans to keep its doors open to be available to answer patients' questions at least for the next few weeks. Nora? Hey, Jenna Diaz, thank you. And still ahead, a boil water alert is finally lifted in Jackson, Mississippi, but concerns remain. And a caught on camera moment, a fast food worker suddenly becomes a crime fighter. For the first time since late July, people in Jackson, Mississippi, don't have to boil their tap water before drinking it. The alert was lifted today, but concerns remain about copper and lead levels in the city's troubled water system. Families are urged to keep using bottled water to make baby formula. Well, we learned today that President Biden will meet with the families of WNBA star Brittany Griner and fellow American Paul Whelan at the White House tomorrow. Both remain jailed in Russia. It will be the president's first face-to-face -face meetings with the families. His administration has been trying to negotiate a prisoner swap to get them released. Meanwhile, the former ambassador to the U.N., Bill Richardson, held meetings this week with Russian leaders in Moscow. All right, up next, Roger and out. Why tennis legend Roger Federer is calling it quits. A fast food worker in Florida is being called a hero after saving a woman from a carjacking. A man snatched a woman's keys as she was getting into her car with her baby at a Chick-fil-A in Fort Walton Beach. A worker then wrestled the suspect to the ground and held him until police arrived. 
41-year-old tennis great Roger Federer announced today that he's hanging up his racket. Federer says, tennis has treated me more generously than I ever would have dreamt, and now I must recognize when it's time to end my competitive career. The 20-time Grand Slam winner has been sidelined by inner injuries. His last match will be at the Labor Cup next week in London. And we'll be right back with the story of the Queen and the Cowboy. Queen Elizabeth's lifelong love of horses was well known. And although she lived in a palace, she felt at home in the stables. That passion led to an unlikely friendship with a California cowboy. Here's CBS's Mark Strassman. And this is the Queen's hallway. Improbably, indelibly, Monty Roberts became Queen Elizabeth's horseman and more. Her Majesty has treated me as if I was uh, a younger brother. Roberts revolutionized horse training, taming horses using a silent language of kindness. In 1989, the Queen, with her lifelong love of horses, invited him to her stables at Windsor Castle. I thought she was a groom. I said, nice to meet you. And I stepped back and I went, oh my God, oh, you're the queen. And she, yes, last time I checked. Handwritten letters and annual Christmas greetings framed their three-decade relationship. Did you consider her a friend? I would call her Her Majesty, but the friendship was deep. Did you ever think to yourself, what am I doing hanging out? with Her Majesty. Only two or three times a day. <laughs> and every night when I went to bed. On Monday, Monty Roberts will go to the funeral of a friend, still in shock. I said, no, what? And I don't want to let her go. She's going to be with me every instant that I'm alive. A dark horse friendship, the California cowboy and the queen. Mark Rossman, CBS News, Solvang, California. An extraordinary friendship. Well, that is tonight's CBS Evening News. And remember, if you can't watch us live, set your DVR so you can watch us later. I'm Nora O'Donnell in the nation's capital. Good night. Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is our podcast. I'm here with my producer, Becca. Becca, what can people expect on the podcast? The extended moments, for sure. Where can people get that? On The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert, wherever you get your podcasts. I use the internet. Hey, everybody, John Stewart here. I am here to tell you about my new podcast, The Weekly Show, coming out every Thursday. We're going to be talking about the uh, election, earnings calls. What are they talking about on these earnings calls? We're going to be talking about ingredient to bread ratio on sandwiches. I know you have a lot of options as far as podcasts go, but how many of them come out on Thursday? Listen to The Weekly Show with Jon Stewart wherever you get your podcasts.